Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. Today, we've got Naveed Alipur. Naveed, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Ple- uh, pleasure to be here. So uh, I have been doing some research on you, and the more research I do, the more impressed I get. So you, you're doing a lot of things. You're wearing a few hats. Can you start with the fund, and then let's talk about a, a couple of the portfolio companies you're, you're currently CEO of or were recently CEO of? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, Analytics Ventures is a small VC fund uh, we formed back in 2016. We formed it as an LLC at first in 2012 uh, to invest our own capital. Um, and then, you know, we're investing in early stage software companies with some monthly recurring revenue. Um, and that we thought we could be good stewards of our own capital and help help the companies as well. Um, in that process, we met some scientists, literally rocket scientists out of UCSD, which you may or may not know is one of the birthplaces, one of the epicenters of artificial intelligence. And they came to us uh, off our, literally off our info at Analytics Ventures website, which we get a lot of vendors and ES and spam. But thankfully, my business partner, Blaze, checked our uh, checked it that day, um, uh, or cure metrics would not exist. And, and so they came to us, no business plan, no business model, uh, just said, hey, we're these AI machine learning experts. We've done work for NASA, detecting anomalies in space weather. I had no idea what that was. I had to look it up, but it's a big deal. If you don't detect space weather to reposition, reposition our defense satellites or telecom satellites, it can knock them out. And so these guys you know, got it to 99% accuracy when NASA was only at 65% accuracy and had sent these data sets to Stanford, MIT, uh, JPL, Carnegie Mellon, UCSD, no one could do better than 70%. These guys at 90% the first time, NASA said, hey, you got lucky. Here's another data set. Well, it's machine learning. The more you feed it, the better it gets. And so um, they got it to 99% accuracy. And so when we met them, we said, look, this is great. Um, there was no business. They just said, we're these experts. And anywhere you could make a prediction, a recommendation, a forecast, or detect anomalies that don't belong using AI. There's obviously an opportunity to increase revenue, decrease costs, bring efficiencies. And that's where we said, you know, we're in San Diego. It's a healthcare and defense town, of course. What can we do uh, in the healthcare space? And, and, and that's where in the interest of time, we said, can you detect breast cancer better than existing computer-assisted detection technology? And they very confidently said, yeah, we can do that. So my partner and I literally co-founded CureMetrics. He thought of the name, we put in the first money, we started the company. Um, we got the chair of radiology at the time, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bill Bradley to quit his job as chair of radiology and become our chief medical officer. And he was instrumental in those early years. Uh, and, and so that was, the rest was kind of history. So we, we ended up starting two companies, CureMetrics and CureMatch with our own capital at first. And then it was in 2016 that we had some family offices, some hedge funds, some high net worth individuals that had invested that, hey, we love these two companies that but for you guys would not exist. How can we get into future companies earlier uh, that you may invest or start in to apply AI in different verticals? And, and so that's where in talking to our counsel of, or the lawyers at Cooley, they said, well, why don't you guys raise a dedicated fund? So it's Analytics Ventures Fund One Limited Partners that's investing and in starting these future companies, not yourselves or your trust or your LLC. And so that's where we, yeah, we're not famous guys. We didn't come from another PE fund or another VC fund. So we said, let's go raise a small fund. And we started some other companies, uh, Alpha Train, the fintech space, uh, for example, and has some ETFs out uh, under the name nightshares.com, uh, which if your listeners want to check that out. And we have uh, Dynam AI, Kazoom, a couple others um, out of that dedicated fund. But 
with Cure Metrics and Cure Match, because I personally co-founded those, um, you know, that's where my focus is as CEO. So there's a lot of people who talk about AI, but it's, it's not necessarily true AI. It's business analytics, it's automation, it's things like this. Can you help people understand the difference between true AI versus buzzword AI? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Jess, and uh, definitely been asked it many times. Uh, at the end of the day, artificial intelligence is not meant to replace the human. It's not meant to replace the doctor, but the doctor using AI will replace the doctor that is not using AI. It's meant to automate tasks that are redundant, and it's meant to reduce the risk of human error. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't need to sleep. Um, it, uh, an AI can detect cancer, and it doesn't need a coffee break or doesn't have food coma. It doesn't get distracted. And so the radiologist can use that artificial intelligence technology to process more mammograms faster. And in our case with Curemetrics, one of our products, CM Triage, which was a first of its kind FDA cleared, will back into suspicious and not suspicious and say, hey, this batch of mammograms, nothing suspicious detected. Look at it when you have time. Get it to your junior radiologist, your resident intern. Uh, this other batch, anomalies detect suspicious images. Get to them ASAP, get to these women immediately get it to your top mammographer, your senior radiologist. And by law in the US, they have to look at all mammograms. So just the simple workflow tool to say, suspicious, get these to your top mammographers, not suspicious, look at it when you have time. That's a big deal. Now, it's not gonna replace the human, but it's gonna empower them to see more patients and take care of more patients faster and more accurately. So that's where it's about, um, you know, the saying, in, not just in healthcare, but it is, uh, the human in the loop, on the loop, or outside the loop. If the human is outside the loop, it's the human is not needed. It's like a driverless car. You can go to sleep. It's 100% automated. If the human is in the loop, there is no AI. The human is 100% needed. The human on the loop is where a lot of technologies using AI lie, especially in the healthcare sense, because you need the doctor, the human element, the human touch. No one wants a robot to tell them they have cancer. They need a human to put their arm over their shoulders and say, hey, we got this. There are action steps to take. We can fight this, right? And so that's where the human on the loop is where we lie, where we're not there to replace the radiologist or the cardiologist or the oncologist. We're there to empower them to process more information faster that's frankly beyond human cognition to process. Um, so that's, that's, that's where I'll, I'll pause. Like, can you give people the stats of like just how helpful this is both for the radiology side and also for like the drug recommendation side? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's take the uh, recommendation side. So if a patient has cancer, you know, Dr. Kurzrock, our, our co-founder, and if uh, your listeners want to look her up, it's K-U-R-Z-R-O-C-K. Uh, she's one of the top oncologists in the world. She's Canadian by birth. And she's always said, cancer is like a snowflake. No two snowflakes ever look the same. And cancer is the same. No two cancers are the same. So it's impossible to say this treatment for this lung cancer patient is the same treatment this lung cancer should get um, and, and expect the same results, right? And, and that's where the AI comes into play. And the fact is, if a doctor wants to recommend a three-drug combination, there's literally over four and a half million combinations of drugs. So it's beyond human cognition to process that. Um, and so that's what CureMatch does, our CureMatch technology. Um, and, and really the genesis of it came from the fact when Dr. Kurzrock was 
at the tumor board at MD Anderson in Houston or then Morse Cancer Center in San Diego. Um, and oncologists at the top of their game are Googling different combination therapies. And, and that's where like, this is insane. You, you really want to rely on Googling the right combination and getting in and you're like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. And and so so what I came, the analogy I use that she, she likes is that um, Pure Match is like Excel for oncologists, right? Excel didn't replace your CPA and my CPA. Um, you know, they, they use Excel to do their job faster and more efficiently. Um, and that's exactly what we do at Cure Match is we help process millions of combinations based on that patient specific, what's called the NGS panel, next generation sequencing panel. So that's where companies, large and small public ones like Gardent or Foundation Medicine that Roche owns, or, uh, you know, there's Keras and Invitae, and then there's private companies like Tempest, Strata, um, and other small NGS labs all over the world. Um, they use predominantly an Illumina machine. Thermo Fisher makes them, others make them too, but Illumina is an 800 pound gorilla. And they use that machine to sequence in their lab, the biopsy, the physical cancer biopsy, or if it's a blood cancer, a blood biopsy of the cancer patient. And they produce the NGS panel. It's literally a 31 page report. So the layperson, I'd say it's like the 23 and me of that patient specific cancer. So they produce that. So this is the molecular makeup of this person's cancer, and there's no other cancer in the world like this person's. And that's where we take that as our inputs. And then our database that we're always curating in the AI, which is important to note, and I'll get to uh, what it is. It's called KRR AI, Knowledge Representation and Reasoning AI. Our KRR AI will then say, out of all these combinations, this is the best one. And we recommend um, our, our cure match report is then used by the doctor in their decision support. Um, but I'll, I'll hit pause there for a second, but it's really important to note that a lot of people know about machine learning and natural language processing, NLP, but very few people have heard of KRR AI. Um, and that, that's what we use on CureMatch. Whereas on the CureMetric side, it is machine learning, where if you said, Naveed, here's 10 million more mammograms, do you want it? Of course, I'll say yes, the more the better. But at some point, there's a diminishing rate of return. If we're 99% accurate in detecting breast cancer, how much better are you going to get? But that's where machine learning works well. And the mammogram from yesterday is the same as the one from three years ago. And we could use that to train our algorithms. Um, but on CureMatch, it's not machine learning. It's KRRAI. And, and don't you guys have some, I'm going to totally misquote this. So I want you to correct me. Don't you have something like, you have like the most accurate breast cancer identification of any company in the world right now or something like am i misquoting that no that's that's accurate to date no one has shown that they can outperform us whether that's uh, uh large companies like hologic or ge um or you know smaller public companies like icad or we have private competitors from south korea a company called lunids uh, the therapixel in france or kiron in the uk um and we are today, no one has shown that they could outperform our CAD technology. Um, what's important to note though, it's, it's uh, as important as breast cancer is in our detection of it. Um, what no one else does, and, um, and we're waiting to get our FDA clearance, and, uh, is we also detect heart disease from the same mammogram. And that's truly our, our golden goose, so to speak, uh, after detecting breast cancer. Um, because uh, heart disease is called the silent killer amongst women. 
where 65% die on that first heart attack and they had no idea they had heart disease. And so that's where in all our bodies, men and women, we're building up calcification as we age. Um, if you can detect it though, and get that patient to go to a cardiologist, get an EKG, get a stress test, know that they have heart disease earlier, get them on a statin for better or for worse, just getting on a statin reduces the risk of a cardiac event by 50 to 60%. So imagine that 40 year old woman who's relatively skinny, she's in shape, she has no idea she has heart disease. Um, she goes in for her first mammogram and they say, hey, you have breast arterial calcification you should go see a cardiologist. And then that cardiologist does appropriate tests and puts her on a statin. And she now knows to exercise that much more, eat that much better and be proactive. So you might've just delayed or eliminated a heart attack at the age of 55 because you detected at the age of 40 that calcification. Um, and, and so that early warning, that early information, that knowledge is power. When you think about the principles that you guys have used would apply no matter the industry. Uh, for this idea of becoming the best at the world of something, having, having a unique capability where you like are truly the only ones who can do something. You know, you're the exact opposite end of the spectrum of a commodity, right? When you think about leading teams who can not just invent that, but also commercialize it and, and become profitable companies, what are some of your principles that you advise any CEO who's trying to make something that's the best in the world and that's, you know, that's the only and extremely high uh, performance? That, that's a great question. And, and there's a couple of ways to, uh, to answer that. One, I would say you have to laser focus. Um, and, you know, we decided we wanted to be the best in the world in detecting breast cancer, not because it's the easiest image and anomaly to detect, but it's the hardest. Um, your lung and my lung are in the same spot. Our rib cages are in the same spot. It's easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to apply some AI applications to detect lung cancer. Breast tissue, even the left and right tissue on the same patient are not the same. So we said, let's be the best in the world in detecting breast cancer. And then with the right resources and partners, let's move on to detecting other diseases on other modalities, x-ray, MRI, ultrasound, not just cancer, right? It could be uh, you know, diabetes, it could be, you know, heart disease, it could be kidney disease, you name it. Um, anywhere that you can detect anomalies in an image, our rocket scientists, literally rocket scientists that used to work for NASA, are some of the best in the world. And so that's where my advice is focus, laser focus on one thing and being the best at it, and then move on from there. Um, and it's also important as you're building the team, it's to have team members that complement each other and yourself. So if you're a co-founder, you're a CEO, um, you, you don't want to have other people that are the same as you. Um, I, you know, I always say that, you know, my job is to be the dumbest guy in the room. And depending on how mad my wife is at me, she says it's pretty easy to do. But that's all, all jokes aside. Like you, I want to get someone that's better than me at marketing and better than me in sales and, and finance. And of course, I'm not a data scientist, you know, get the top, you know, computer scientists and clinicians and bioinformatics experts. So I, I would say laser focus and help build a team that complements each other. I mean, one of the things that I felt like is really important that you said, though, is is actually declaring what that is, like like putting the flag, putting the flag out there like this is what we're shooting for, guys. Like, hey, team, this this is what success looks like. We're the best in the world at X and that you now have this standard that everything gets measured about, like 
have we tried hard enough? I don't know. Are we the best in the world at it yet? You know, like you have, you have a standard to measure against, right? And yep. that might be more objective or more subjective, but you know, like, are we all rowing in the same direction? But it's like, has it been written down? Is it repeated repeatedly? You know, uh, kind I, of a thing. I, I love that you said that. And, and, you know, you have to be, especially in healthcare, you got to be mission driven. I mean, we get up every morning saying, how can we do things one day faster? Because if we do things one day faster, someone's life will be impacted. And we're also, uh, you know, come from this with a global perspective where cancer and heart disease certainly don't know borders or boundaries, and neither do we. We're looking, we, have, we do business internationally. Um, of course, the focus is on North America and the U.S., and this is where we are, but we get contacted by patients all over the world that have cancer um, on the, you know, on the cure match front. And, and um, of course, we're going to help them. And um, with, with children, for example, we also have, a, we're very mission-driven. We decided several years ago that, um, you know, until the volume is so much, and hopefully it never will be because there aren't that many kids with cancer, we offer our services complimentary at no cost to children with cancer. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and that was our way of giving back. And you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, Pfizer or Coca-Cola or, uh, you know, Qualcomm to, to give back. You can give back uh, regardless of what size of the company you are. That's great. By the way, thanks. Thanks for doing that as a parent. <laughs> yeah, my, my pleasure. And, and, I like and, hearing that. And it was one of those things where one time, you know, we had a child with cancer and um, they couldn't afford our report, which isn't that expensive at the end of the day, but they couldn't afford it. And, and we said, well, like in conscience, we can't not help this child, right? We can't not help this family. So um, I, I think that's, healthcare is different, right? And back to your original question of, you know, advice, any entrepreneurs or founders, healthcare is a different animal for better, or for worse. Um, than if you're just building a software product for restaurants to increase their sales, right? That's very different. Um, in regards to regulatory hurdle and risk and, um, and, and whatnot. So uh, the healthcare space, um, rightly so, is regulated. And, and so you, you have to abide by the confines of that so you, uh, uh, you know, do no harm first and foremost. I guess my first question on, on the kind of team that, that this is, becomes realistic, you know, that can laser focus, that can become the best in the world at something or can create something that nobody else has got. When you think about selection on that team, there's a lot of people with a lot of degrees. There's a lot of people who look good on paper. There's, you know, like, I mean, even knowing who to approach is one thing and then getting them to want you is another thing. Can you talk about those two elements? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's, that's a, a tough question. Um, I think there's, there's serendipity in, in how teams come together. Uh, and, you know, some of it is just, uh, you know, it was meant to be, uh, I, I don't want to get, you know, too deep or spiritual on that, but I think sometimes there is a serendipity to how things happen and who you meet and how you meet them. And it just, the forces in the world, like pushing you together. Right. And, and then you have those, you know, those people that just, you know, failure is not an option. And this is what they're going to do. And it's not about being offered, you know, $10,000 more by a competitor to cross the parking lot, right? Um, if, if, you know, you have someone that on the team, and of course, as companies grow, you're going to have people that they are just about the money. And, um, but at the early stage, uh, it's, you know, of course, people need to make a living and be valued and compensated. Um, 
but it's more than that, right? At the beginning, you have to find people that um, are passionate about the mission of what you are trying to achieve. You know, um, I underestimate that sometimes uh, because, like, I can be a pretty uh, logic-based guy on certain things. And sometimes as we had junior members of our team, um, I'm like, so what, you know, what were the big things that made you want, you know, they'll be like six months in or nine months in with us or something. It'll be like, what are some of the big reasons that you came over? Like, what was it, you know? And I expect it to be something about what we're doing at work or whatever. And they're like, well, I gotta tell you, one of the biggest things, Jess, is, is uh, child rescue. That, that like, the reason you guys are trying to make all this money is like, is not just so you can take care of your family, but like that you're going to go combat this child trafficking thing. Like that was a big deal for me. I was like, really? I gotta, I gotta talk about that more at work. Like, I think a lot of times I think like, I'm, I'm following my business here, Warren Buffett of trying to make a boatload of money and then give at least half of it away to make the world better. Right. And I, a lot of times discount, that's probably what my, like my team probably wants to do things like that as well, or like they at least want to participate. And like, a lot of times I'm like, I'm just focused on work. I'm just talking about work, even though I'm trying to like right now we're doing a thing, um, we're we're fundraising for a police training uh, where they can learn more like high level skills, like what our intelligence agencies use to like recruit a double agent high up in a criminal ring that's that's selling kids. Right. And I'm like so passionate about it. Like it's it's like what I was born for kind of like I'm like, man, these cops, they care so much. They just there aren't currently the budgets, you know, they can't get top secret clearances. There just aren't the budgets for them to get into the FBI Academy or somewhere. Right. And like, even though we can't teach them top secret stuff, like if we can at least give them more tools in the tool belt, like they really want to help these kids. Like this is my, this is like a burning thing for me. Right. Okay. And why aren't I talking about it with my staff? Why are, what, like, why isn't this in a, why don't we have at least a weekly check-in on the team of like, Hey, who else to help with this part? You know, like this is what's going on next. Like, right, Nate, right. Like, we are a video production company. Why am I not involving my team where like you guys have your cause so baked into what you do? And for us, you know, whether it's our real estate fund, whether it's our media company, it's a little more like we're trying to make a boatload of money so we can do child rescue. But like yep. I should be talking to my own team more about it. I think you should, because and hats off to you for to, to what you're doing and in, in this, you know, incredibly worthy mission. And and I think it, it, you should talk about it because uh, at the end of the day, we all get up and have a finite amount of time on this earth. And 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 so if you have that drive um, to make an impact, like it's going to attract the right team members. Right. And it's going to want them to be if they get an offer from a competitor or another, they're going to think twice. Right? You know what? No, I like working with Jess and this mission and this team. And I don't want to leave these people. It becomes kind of like a family. Right. It can be more than one thing. Like I think about our media company. We help these CEOs basically just have a show like mine, right? Yeah. Where we put all these fancy people on the show and get introduced to, it's like credibility marketing plus like the most amazing way to meet the people you want to meet and all this kind of stuff, right? And like, I believe entrepreneurship can save the world. Like I'm not a government funding will save the world guy. I'm like entrepreneurs will save the world. I, and, I, I, a capitalist, 100%, I agree. It's... And I just feel like the biggest enemy to founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs is not necessarily the competition. The biggest enemy is anonymity. It's really hard for people to buy your report when they don't know it exists. When right? they don't know, you, you just hit the nail on the head. And, and, yep. 
Well, I just think like for me, what we're doing, like this is at my one company, Greystoke Networks. Like this is a mission for me of like, I've just been like, you know, my, my personal net worth did the, did the entrepreneur roller coaster a couple of times, right? It's painful. And I believe in entrepreneurs so much. I like desperately want to help them. Like we're actually offering. So it's, you know, we're, we're not a cheap service per se. We're, we're like, we're good, not cheap kind of thing. Right. And so as a result, like for lots of CEOs who can't afford us, we're actually teaching a free class. Like, hey, do you want to show like this? We'll teach you how to do it for yourself for free. And by the way, anybody listening, like hit me up on LinkedIn or go to the Greystoke Networks website if you want to join that. But like, I should be like, we should be talking about this at our daily stand-up meetings of like, hey, we want to help. We want to help entrepreneurs overcome anonymity. We are in the business of helping these CEOs overcome the, the problem of nobody can, nobody can find out how great they are if they don't know who they are in the first place. Yep. And there, and, and, and that, no, that, uh, that's a great way to put it in. And the fact is, um, one, there are bad actors out there and some of them are very good at getting the limelight and then, you know, distracting from the, the good actors. Right. Um, and, and two, uh, there, there is a lot happening out there and it's a loud world and, and, there, and you know, the internet's so the wild west and, and, and so there's a fact of, you know, that, that if people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so uh, that's where, you <laughs> yeah. know, we're trying to, you know, you know, you know, scream from the mountaintops what we're doing so that, uh, God forbid someone, whether they have cancer now or their loved one does, or it's tomorrow or three months from now or six months from now. Or it's a, hey, I forgot to get my mammogram this year because of COVID, uh, which a lot of, we're, we're, you know, cancer rates are going to be skyrocketing for so many reasons. And one of them is that mammography was not an essential service for eight months in 2020. And then after that, and then when, there's a backlog. But um, if we can get, you know, one person to schedule that mammogram, um, then, hey, this this hour we spent here together was worth it. And, 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 and so it's just, you, you, there's so many distractions out there it's, it's about yeah. getting information to people at the right time this is helpful i actually need to be screening more like for our new hires like we we doubled our staff last month and we probably need to grow by almost 50 percent by the end of the year staffing wise awesome. thanks uh but like i need to be screening more like do you care about entrepreneurs like we have a mission to help these because you're right there's a whole bunch of loudmouths who actually don't have something great it's like like the two sides like have something awesome have people find out about it. Right. It's like a lot of people who have something awesome aren't as good at this skill. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are already really good at this skill aren't always as good at having something awesome. They're just really good at getting a lot of attention. Yep. And it's like, don't we want to help the people who have something legitimately incredible uh, win over the media manipulators, basically? You know? Yeah. yeah and no, no. I should be screening for that. Okay, I want to shift gears. Because uh, sure. I think that's really helpful when it comes to selection of like who are the right who should we be hunting down how should we be screening i want to go the other way um you said a whole bunch of terms today that uh it like let alone an hour from now like right now i can't repeat those back word for word okay uh and your world is is very complex um knowing that like the buck stops is you as as the big cheese to actually get customers and for this to be a a uh, profitable business and these kind of things. How do you, how do you attack marketing and sales of making it simple and compelling 
it's diff, it's you got it. Healthcare is a different animal, right? Um, you have to be very careful with what you're putting out there and not make any false statements or exaggeration. So we're very, very mindful of that. Uh, I'd rather uh, share less, but have it be, uh, you know, not have any confusion cost, right? Um, so it's a, it's a delicate balance there. In, in regards to how we're looking to get the word out there, um, we have a multifaceted approach. We, of course, um, have patients reach out to us and, and that have cancer themselves. Um, that's not how you're going to scale a company, though, to just go you know, directly to, to, to patients. Um, we want to meet, you know, get in front of oncologists because at the end of the day, the oncologist is the one that's going to use our reports to their, our, the CureMax report with all the other information they have is the oncologist and the patient's information to deliver care for that patient. They're going to practice medicine, right? They're going to use our report as just another arrow in their quiver. And so we look to get in front of patients. We look to uh, get in front of the right KOLs, uh, you know, the key opinion leaders and oncologists. Um, and, you know, for example, if we, uh, we applied for our CPT code with American Medical Association. We got letters of support being sent in from some of the top oncologists from, you know, MD Anderson to Morris Cancer Center, uh, uh, you know, Johns Hopkins. And, and so it matters that you get, you know, that support from the oncologist. And then last, and I'll hit pause, is the, 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 the advocacy groups, the nonprofits. Um, that's where we could do good by and, and also make money and get the word out. And so we, our biz dev team, you know, is reaching out to all the cancer advocacy groups to say, hey, we'd like to offer five complimentary reports a month to those in your organization or that you, that in your ecosystem that have cancer just to get the word out, right? So we're, you know, give it a, give away a couple of reports complimentary because the tech, the, the caliber of what we produce speaks for itself. And, and, and that uh, gets the kind of early disciples, so to speak. So you answered the question that I was going to bring up next, which is like, tactically, what does this look like? Uh, you know, uh, do you know that marketing author, Seth Godin? Yeah, not personally, uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think he had this great talk in Finland, the Nordic Business Forum, where he said like, you know, marketers over-marketed and people tune them out. And like nowadays, like the number one form of marketing is having an incredible product, you know? Um, and it's, there's something misleading about that because people still have to find out it's an incredible product, which I love. Like the taste test is so tried and true. Like if your stuff is awesome, then you can get that word of mouth. I mean, you, you got prime the pump, of right? You got, right. Um, uh, I think maybe backtracking just a little bit. So talking about these key opinion leaders where, where they are recognizing, oh, wow, this is, you know, this isn't fluff. These guys are doing what they say they do. Right. Right. How do you, what does that look like tactically? Like at a granular level, how do you get the word out that you got that key opinion later to support you? Well, I mean, is it conferences? Is it social media? Is it, what, what do you do? A bit of all of the above. I mean, you can go to our website, whether you go to aimetglobal.com and it drives to then CureMetrics and CureMatch are two different product lines, or you go to the CureMatch site directly, you'll see several of these endorsements. We have uh, a, a quote, an endorsement from the former chief medical officer at Garden, one of the biggest, largest, most successful uh, next generation sequencing companies and labs at public. And he said that, you know, CureMatch is a superior technology. 
we have Dr. John Link, who's one of the top breast cancer oncologists in the, in the country, if not the world. Um, and his practice was called breastlink.com that then got acquired by Memorial Care. Um, and we gave him two complimentary reports. And he came back and said, this has changed my therapy decisions. I mean, this guy's written like editions and editions of books on how to survive breast cancer. And so he now is a huge supporter of ours, and uh, and you can see his quote on our website. And, and, and how do you how do you guys get people to your website to see the quote? We obviously use the you know the readily available free tools at our disposal, as you know whether it's you know LinkedIn or Twitter or you know Facebook to some degree, of course. Uh, um, a little more Instagram. We just started using that a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's a little different with healthcare, but. Um, but yeah, we, we use the social mediums and, and of course, uh, we have a, you know, I think you, you met our one, one marketing guy who, uh, you know, Brock, who's fantastic. And, um, you know, we try to get in front of reporters and. This is funny because I'm like, I'm in this business. Okay. But I'm interested for you. Uh, how do you decide what's worth the time? Because you could just spin your wheels with that stuff. And I feel like there's like, there's some stuff that obviously does move the needle. And then there's other stuff that's like, like there's no response. All it did is use up valuable employee time. No, nobody cares. You know, like that's an activity that needs to get cut. When you think about navigating that, what's your decision tree like? I mean, God, I, I wish I could give a really good answer to that. The best answer I think I can give is that um, you take calculated risks. Um, you say, I'm going to devote you know, a certain amount of my time to this or our, our capital to this and our efforts to this and our team's time. And if it doesn't bear fruit, you got, you got to shift, you got to change. And, you know, definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Right. And so, so that's where, uh, and then you find something that works, you go, where did we get that to that oncologist or that patient or that lab? And let's put that in a Petri dish and grow that and find the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's, you know, not a perfect answer, but, you know, you, you kind of got to weave with, uh, in, 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 in tack is, uh, as you see what's resonating and what's not. And I wish I was better at it. I, you know, I want to sh- take the same principle and apply it more on the fun side. When you think about fundraising, you know, you, you guys are doing something exceptional. You're getting attention for some of those things. You're getting recognition. So my guess is you have a certain amount of inbound investors, but when it comes to adding to that, and it, and it does, you do think about bounty. You've got, you know, all the securities regulations, restrictions, and depending what exemptions you're using, you can or can't tell people certain things and stuff. Right. Um, what has been your philosophy or what has been effective when you've decided, hey, I think we, I think we want a few more dollars. Let's go out and get a few more. What, what do you feel like has been most effective for you? I think it's about finding the right investors that believe in your mission. Um, and, you know, whether that's in, a high net worth individual, whether that's a family office, whether that's a hedge fund manager uh, or an institutional investor, it, there, there's usually a story behind why they chose to invest. <laughs> of course, there's a the one that, you know, check all our boxes, our KPIs, what's your average revenue per user, your customer acquisition costs, your, you know, your, your, your churn. If you're an app, what's your you know, daily active users or monthly active users, like you got all those, you know, check the box, check the box. Okay. We can make some money here potentially. That's great. Healthcare is a little different there where, 
it's more than that, right? So XB Ventures is a VC fund out of Mexico City that's on our board at CureMetrics and an investor from early on because breast cancer is a huge problem in Latin America. And so we have a Mexican subsidiary and we are looking to do business in, in Latin America. And we have our visa clearance in Brazil, which is the equivalent of the FDA in Brazil. And so that they were mission driven to invest, right? As a, and, and how did you connect with them? What, what are you doing when you're trying to build a new relationship? Like you, I know I have, I'm sure you have some inbound, but when you're looking for outbound, what are the, what, are, what works for you when it comes to making a new friend? I think you, know, you, you, you work your network. Um, I think LinkedIn and Twitter are amazing tools that I have used and I should use them more, frankly. Okay. But so people use those so poorly in your mind. What's it, how do you use LinkedIn or Twitter? Well, because so many people are not. Well, I mean, first off, if if there's a another CEO or an investor that I want to connect with or a potential partner, um, you can always ask for a warm introduction. Um, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm so excited. I'll just send them a note myself and say, hey, I came across your profile. I thought we should connect for X, Y, Z reasons. Let's get acquainted. Right. And, you know, nine times out of 10, people are pretty open to that. And, and then, you know, you take it from, from there to take it off LinkedIn and, and, and to connect further. And, uh, and, and with Twitter, I think Twitter is a fantastic tool to see what, what someone that you may have an interest in meeting, um, what are they passionate about? What are they not just on their work, but on a personal level, a family level, because people share a lot of information. I'm a little more private with family stuff, but I don't, I don't judge anyone for wanting to share more. But my point is you learn about people and, uh, you find out. They had a sister that died from breast cancer, right? I mean, we had an investor that found out about us because uh, Dr. Kurzrock was on an interview and she had a family member that had recently passed away from cancer. She was going to donate uh, a pretty meaningful amount, to a nonprofit. And she said, you know what? I'm going to invest in your company instead. If you fail, I'm, I'm going to write off the money anyway, giving it to nonprofit. But I think you guys have a higher chance of impacting people's lives with cancer faster. And if I make money, I'll just donate more to uh, the nonprofit. Right. And so whether it's a hedge fund, whether uh, that they just want to make money or uh, uh, individual or a VC fund like XV Ventures. I, I love it. I actually feel like you're going back to the previous thing, though, of like doubling down on your cause, like this flag you planted, like this is what we're all about. And then when you're, you know, when your uh, co-founder there is out doing the interview, it becomes a magnet. It becomes like that lightning rod for the people who resonate with like what you're all about. And if that, you know, she does the interview once and it goes out to all these people, right? And somebody it resonates with, right? Absolutely. We had an interview on Clubhouse, you know, the Clubhouse app. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was all the rage and then it wasn't. But when it was all the rage, uh, um, there was an interview and um, an institutional investor at one of the top private equity funds listen to this and was, we need to meet this company. And he was new to the fund, uh, reached out to one of his partners who I knew and we connected and he flew to San Diego and, and, you know, we're having great conversations and, and it was off a clubhouse interview of all this, right? So you never know where it comes from. And I think it's, you do right. You take enough steps. And if you, you know, you, you, you know, living here on Coronado, you know, you and I were talking about it. There's a lot of, uh, you know, current and former retired military. And uh, my wife and I are walking by a house on Ocean Boulevard the other day, and there's a gentleman who's got a flag, don't give up the ship. And it's like, if you believe in what you're doing, you don't give up the ship. You, you just keep fighting, right? And 
And so, uh, that's actually, that's actually a good analogy. So I, I'd read like all these Navy SEAL books and watched the Navy SEAL movies and stuff. So I thought it was so cool when I got hired to go train the Navy SEALs in, in leadership over there at, at Coronado. Right. And, um, I remember going to the grinder for the first time. That's that place where they put, you know, like when you quit, you put your green helmet and ring the bell. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, by then I, you know, my, I, certain clients had become friends and we had talked a lot about selection and, you know, buds and SQT and, and, uh, it is like, it's interesting. Like you gotta be a good enough runner. You gotta be good enough at shooting. You gotta be good enough at swimming. Like you gotta be all these things. Right. And it's like the number one thing above all of those is somebody who won't quit on me. Like the worst insult, the worst insult you can say to somebody else in the special operations community is that guy's a quitter. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. And, but that I think that goes back to like, right. well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier of like planting your flag in the sand. You better really, really care. And then bring that laser focus that you talked about to what you really care about. And like, excellent, like relentless pursuit of excellence, right? A hundred percent. And I mean, look, if, if we had a software for sales enabled enablement, um, which is great, uh, it's needed. There's amazing. It's not your baby. It's, I wouldn't be passionate about it. Right. I mean. You know, I'm a small shareholder in a company called Seismic here in town, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar, largest sales enablement SaaS company in the world, uh, had bought a company that I'd invested in. And I'm glad to own a little piece of that. And when they go public and I'm, you know, I'll do fine. But like that would, like I'm a passive investor in it, right? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, it's not my baby. I couldn't be passionate about it, but you have to be, whatever you're doing, you got to be passionate about it. And, and, you know, that's, that's where, you know, with us, it's, you know, like I mentioned, because my, everyone in my family is a doctor and, um, you know, is making their impact, uh, taking care of patients. My, my analogy was, you know, if, you know, if you're a pilot, and so, so just walk, walk with me on this one. If you're a pilot on every flight, let's say you got a couple hundred lives in your hand. If you're an air traffic controller in one 12 hour shift, you have tens of thousands of lives in your hand, right? So the way I look at it is I'm not the doctor that's practicing medicine, but I'm air traffic control that I could, if I can get these technologies out there, I could impact even more lives than if I was a doctor. And well, it's gotta be a fun way to live. Uh, I love it. It's exciting. Like, <laughs> it, it keeps you engaged and gets you up every morning. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. Well. Um, I know we're winding down here. Maybe um, my next question is this. There are so many people that, you know, love entrepreneurship, that love technology, that, that uh, are fascinated with the venture world, that are fascinated with the startup world. And statistically, there's so few that have accomplished what you've done, let alone what you've done multiple times. What do you think you've done different? What would you attribute some of that success to? Don't give up the ship. It's got it. You got to be persistent and laser focused, and um, and be be okay with failure. I have invested in companies and been involved in companies that have failed, um, but you learn from those failures, and you can't. You got to have thick skin. You can't give up, and you can't have a pity party. You know why not me? And you just pick yourself back up and learn from those lessons, and 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 keep going. And look, entrepreneurship is hard. It you know, statistically, the, it you know most startups fail, and. You know, I, years ago, what you know, I, I read somewhere, you know, definition of an entrepreneur is someone who's delusional because you have to be delusional to a degree to create something out of nothing. Right. 
I mean, Elon Musk is a crazy man, but he's a genius, right? Look what he's created. He could have failed so many times, but he didn't. Well, it's that Winston Churchill quote of, I I can't remember, I'm going to misquote it, but I think it's something like success is the ability to go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, how many times did Elon Musk's rocket blow up before SpaceX worked, right? Uh, So maybe this will be a funny question. When you think about that trait and that skill set, who do you look up to or who, who is an example of that to you? You know, outside of the, the public figures that, you know, we all know about. Um, I know it, it, it might be kind of cheesy when someone says my father, but I would say my father. Um, you know, he's a retired cardiologist. Um, you know, he, he came to the U.S. in the late 60s to, uh, from Iran. So... But he came here when the relations within the U.S., Iran, Israel were great, and he went to med school here. And you know, he 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 could have stayed here, but in the early you know he, in the early seventies, he chose to go back. And good for me because he met my mom, or I wouldn't be here. Um, and um, goes back, and uh, you know, the revolution happened, and no one anticipated that revolution happening the way it did. Um, and so, uh, you know, he was the chair of the hospital in in Tehran. And he wasn't a fan of monarchy. He wanted democracy for the country, but he definitely, definitely did not like the, the Ayatollahs and, you know, the Islamic government. And, and, um, and, and so he, when, when they basically threatened to, you know, kill him and his family, he's like, I think I need to get out of here. Right. And so that's where, uh, you know, we came to the U.S. in 84. Um, and, you know, me as a young kid at the time, my, my other brother and then my other brother was born here. Um, but he had to start over and, you know, one, one analogy he used is, you know, when you're in the you know middle of the ocean and it's, you know, dark and you're swimming and the shores, you know, over there in the distance, you know, you just keep swimming toward the shore. And, you know, sometimes you go a little faster, sometimes you go a little slower, but, you, you know, you just keep moving. I feel like immigrants are like the original entrepreneurs, you know, like I think that they, I think that they do not get enough credit. For the guts, the bravery, the willingness to deal with the unknown, the the selfless service for a better life for their kids. Like we all want a better life for our kids. But those people who are willing to leave their support network and go into the unknown, like those are the people with my respect. Well, and and from your lips to God's ears. And I and I think that that's what I think it was Reagan that said, you know, the US is humanity's greatest experiment. Because it attracts the best and brightest from all over the world that want to come here, they want to go to school here, they want to live here, they want to raise their families here and contribute and become a part of the fabric of the country because everyone is from somewhere else. And, and, and the, so we attract the best and the brightest and the, the, the risk, you know, our secret weapon, it's not our tanks and our planes and our military, which is an amazing military. Our secret weapon is that this is still the best place in the world and people from all over the world want to come here. I, I agree. I grew up in Canada. Technically, I'm an American born abroad, but I grew up in Canada for 99% of the first 18 years of my life. Okay. And uh, I think the I think the U.S. is the, if you're willing to take personal responsibility for yourself, I think the United States is the best country in the world. Like, it, if you don't want your past to determine your future, I can't, like, to me, this is country number one. Like, I am so happy to be here. You know, um, it's funny, on the show, uh, your point about attracting the best and the brightest, like, 
on this show, sometimes I like start feeling like, man, like Iran, like there's a Persia puts out a, a lot of exciting people. Like I just had Nusheen Hashemi on recently. And some some other folks are like, man, there's some awesome entrepreneurs are like like Indians. Like I like I like want to write a book. Uh my, my favorite Indians, okay? Because I started having like just all these great entrepreneurs on and uh I had this really famous author, Ram Sharan on. He's like, I was like, man, India's like legit. You guys have so many great entrepreneurs. He's like, well, Jess, there's a little self-selection theory here of like, you're talking to the Indians who are willing to pack up and come over an ocean to pursue their dreams. So like, I love India too, but you know, like take it with a grain of salt, Jess. Well, the point that he made is spot on. It's that the, the, the most driven, the, uh, you know, the smartest, the most, you know, passionate about doing, building something, uh, from India, from Iran, from Russia. I mean, you know, at one point, Iran had the largest brain drain in the world because, you know, people want to live in peace and build their businesses and their families and, you know, not be uh, in an authoritarian, let alone a, a religious authoritarian regime, right? And so those that can leave and, and you know, hats off and, and the most respect to the folks over there that are protesting right now, we see on the news going on that haven't left because they couldn't for you know whatever reasons whether it's family whether it's financial whether the government won't let them right they, you can't forget that a lot of times they can't um but the fact is that uh you know the best and brightest from these countries come here it doesn't mean everyone from india is smart it doesn't mean everyone from russia or iran is smart and it means that the, the self-selection brought the ones here especially if they have to come in a plane, not just cross the border on foot, right? It's, it's a little harder to legally, you know. No, no, it's a good point. Part. Like, I, and again, that's another group I have a ton of respect for. People who are willing to stand up for bullies and risk their own personal safety and potentially their family's personal safety to say, like, this is morally wrong. Like, th those people have my respect as well. You know, like, as we're talking here, I'm just thinking, like, I guess it, one of the things that drives me nuts is Americans who, it seems like they hate America. And they're like, you know, they want to rip on all the bad things. I'm like, this is not a perfect country. This is not a perfect country. But have you thought about the comparison list? <laughs> like, look at, the, look at the other countries, you know, look at the other countries that have put their hand up, I'd like to raise the world. North Korea, the Ayatollahs, uh, Russia and China. And like, are, are any of you willing to trade places? Because I can tell you, there's a whole bunch of people in those countries who would take your house and your job and your lifestyle in an instant. Like over the years, we've had a lot of virtual systems in the developing world and they don't think America's perfect and they would, they would really, really like to get here. Because it, it, it's at the end of the day, it's a country of rule of law. And um, you could say we have a big, bad government, but I guarantee you we don't compare it to those countries you mentioned. And and perspective sometimes, even with the internet at our fingertips, you know, more people, you know, know what's going on with celebrities in Hollywood than what's going on in the rest of the world. And sad to say, there was the, you know, saying that, you know, in the U.S., people learn uh, where countries are located by when we go to war with them. And, you know, it's <laughs> kind of... <laughs> it's tough. Sad, and, but true. Right? And I'm not saying that America is perfect, but you know that cliche, uh, complain about software by making good software? Have you heard that cliche? Okay. Like 
great. If you're ticked about something in America, do something about it. This is a friggin' democracy. Like, I am super ticked that in certain places in this country, if you, uh, you know, with our charity and the child abuse stuff, right? There's some places where if you get caught looking at child sexual abuse imagery, child pornography, it's 10 years in jail. If you get caught actually hurting the kid, it's one year in jail. That ticks me off, like bigly. So guess what? I'm trying to get together with people that that also ticks off. I'm trying to do something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I like, here's an, here's an idea for a whole nother show. I know we're over time and I promise to wrap it up here. But like, uh, I would love to do another show that is just like showing, um, showing Americans who take this for granted, like all this opportunity for granted. I would love to do a show just of entrepreneurs who like crawled through barbed wire to get here and to take advantage and have taken that high personal responsibility and have had like everything stacked against them and made a great life for their family anyways. And just like, I feel like there's so many unsung stories that would be inspiring to sports people, to entrepreneurs, to all sorts of people. Like, I, 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 I think that, there, I mean, there's so many examples, right? What I, you know, I forget who the tennis player was, but I was watching a report on, you know, this you know, tennis player that, you know, they came here from another country and the dad took care of the, you know, the tennis, you know, court in New York somewhere, I think. And, and, you know, they lived in, the, you know, the janitor's room or something. And he ended up becoming this incredible tennis player. I wish I remembered his name. I mean, it's someone very famous right now. And I'll, I'll be embarrassed about this afterwards. But, but like, it's, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs or athletes or doctors, it's like that intestinal fortitude that you just keep going. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. just that that maybe they were born here and they're blessed to be born here, but they don't have that perspective. And it's easier to have a pity party and say, well, I didn't have this or I didn't have that. Well, you know, what the F did that person have, in, you know, this poor village in India or Guatemala? Look at, look at your dad. Look at your dad. Like now I'm a fan of your dad. He's the chief at a hospital and he comes here and starts over. You know what I mean? And probably dealt with some racism, probably dealt with all sorts of issues. You know what I mean? And like carved out a life. Yeah, I, I mean, he could write a book. He's he's got crazy stories on, um, you, you know, on on all of this. But um, yeah, I mean, he didn't come from a he, like he wasn't rich, right? There are families everywhere in the world um, that come from very wealthy families. Like he did not come from a wealthy family. His father died when he was eighteen. Uh, and he was the oldest of you know eight kids, so he's putting himself through school and university, taking care of his family. Um, and even when he came over here, like he, you know, as a student in medical school, he was you know sending money back. So, like he he could have quit. He had a lot of reasons to quit, but um, it, it's not uh, it, it's not that you know he was definitely not born with a, a, sil a silver spoon in his mouth. He had to work for everything and. And I think that those stories should motivate people. And when, you know, when things don't go your way, you know, just, you know, pick yourself up and, you know, take one step, then the next step and the next step. And, and, uh, I'm a big movie buff. I think of the, the in Matt Damon and the Martian at the end, he goes, you're like, I forgot what he says. I'm going to slaughter this. Like you're going to, your odds are you're going to die up there in space. Right. But 
you do the math, you work the problem, then the next one and the next one and the next one. And if you're lucky, you might just get back home to earth. And, and that's a, literally, I think, the last line. But it's like, just work the problem. You don't quit. No, I, I love it. Like, I do feel like there are so many people who, even in the U.S., who are starting at a place worse than where I started, okay? And I just feel like, man, you know what? If I got to be in charge, what we'd be giving them is uh, training and handholding on how to invent their own future on entrepreneurship. And then, and then required in these courses would be like a thousand entrepreneur stories from immigrants who had it even worse than them. And just that like, the I can do it too feeling. Like, you know, none of us accomplish anything like Fire. we don't all get our goal, but we definitely don't get the things we're not even shooting for. Right. And like one of the really fun things about this show for me is like confronting my own small thinking. Like I get to meet people like you who've like done so much professionally. And I'm like, huh, well, he's super smart, but like he's actually just a person. He's not, you know, like yeah. I wonder what I wonder what are those lessons I could integrate for myself. And like. I get this like huge advantage of getting to spend time with people like you. And it like, it wears off on me where I started getting curious. Like, ah, I went like AI seems like a complete back black box, but what if I just started Googling? What if I started, what if I intentionally approached the idea of like, is there a place for AI in our businesses? Like that's step one. Absolutely. But I'm not doing it. If I'm not meeting people like you, if I'm not hearing your stories or watching your YouTube videos, you know, anyway. Well, no, I mean, look, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Jess, and I think we've uh, we've solved some of the world's problems. Yeah. Hey, where can people connect with you online? What's the best websites? Uh, AIMedGlobal.com would then drive you to CureMetrics and CureMatch, CureMetrics.com, CureMatch.com. Uh, those websites are there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, so, uh, you know, feel free to reach out there as well. Um, and if we can help anyone, uh, you know, whether it's now or tomorrow, or, you know, six years from now, you know, with a health issue. And, uh, and I'm glad to have been on this uh, podcast to get this information out there. And if you know a kid with cancer. And if you know out. a kid with cancer, we absolutely complimentary cure matching. And, and again, we work with a lot of nonprofits. In fact, uh, one that I think, you know, your involvement with the military and stuff that you may be familiar with, we, uh, also work with the Hunter Seven Foundation, which helps veterans with cancer, um, and so we uh, we offer our our services to them and as as a contribution as well. So a lot of uh, vets come back, of course, from you know whether these tar pits or burning trash in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever, and they have lung cancer at the age of twenty five, and and so um, yeah, so we we love helping where we can make a difference there. That's awesome. So glad you do that. And th thanks for uh, thanks for all your time today. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Okay. Bye, everyone.